Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. Now, good evening and welcome to Country Life here on Midlands 103. It's MJ Cleary with you for the next hour, bringing you the latest from the Midlands and further afield from the worlds of agriculture, food and agribusiness. Now, 10th of May 2023 and thank you all for joining me. A great growing week since I was speaking to you all last. Lots of rain and some good heat. A real burst of grass growth over the last few days. Now, some very mild weather promised for the weekend. Actually, 20 degrees on Saturday is what Medairn is reporting today. Hopefully, a return to rain thereafter far too early in the month of May for a prolonged dry spell. So, fingers crossed it doesn't occur. Hopefully, next week, back to some uh, rain definitely needed at this stage of the month of May. Now, this evening's programme and Fine Gael have announced their new Agri Spokesman. Tim Lombard is a senator and dairy farmer from County Cork. I'll be chatting to Tim a little later on the programme about his views on agriculture and what he would do if he was Minister for Agriculture. News of a scheme for genotyping the national herd has just been announced and I think this is a hugely positive step. It's something that is badly needed. Under this scheme, a sample will be taken from calves and the results will show the genetic makeup of that calf. Now, given our reliance on dairy beef, we are finally going to be able to remove the guesswork when purchasing calves and indeed store cattle eventually in the next couple of years and go after actual genetics. With more on this later is the suckler chair of the ICSA, Jimmy Cosgrave. The Irish Grassland Association are holding a sheep farm walk in Clonbelogue next week where grazing management is key for profitability and output. It's on the farm of Eddie and Aidan Connell and we'll hear all about that a little bit later here on the programme also. Now, text the show with your comments, thoughts or questions to 083 30 10 103 and I'll be happy to put anything to our guests here this evening. Uh, to start this evening, we are on the topic of marital breakdown and that area of pre-nuptial agreements. And we have Alice Doyle on the line. Alice is the chair of the Farm, Family and Social Affairs Committee with the IFA. Alice, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Good evening, MJ. How are you? Uh, we're very good, Alice. And prenuptial agreements, uh, the IFA want them to be recognised in Ireland. There's something that happened, come to the fore here, like other countries. Some countries like America, for example, they're part and parcel of life, uh, but here they're not. So just to be clear, when we speak about a prenuptial agreement, what exactly are we talking about, Alice? We're talking basically, I suppose, MJ, that an agreement will be made between a couple uh, as to what assets they have. They would have a statement of assets that they each have. Uh, and should a breakdown come, they would have a, a, a very clear path as to how those assets would be kept by kept with by, by themselves or shared, depending on what the agreement was. There's also, uh, I suppose, room in it, you know, to allow for change and for review. Uh, you know, as you as you continue to be married in the hope that a breakdown won't come, you can always review this as well. Now, the details of prenups, uh, I'm afraid, in Ireland, we're not that familiar with them. We do know that uh, there is a format or a template existing uh, for civil partnerships at the moment, since the Civil Partnership Act of 2010, where, you know, a set of, um, a, a statement of, of assets are, are laid out and financial arrangements and how these how these assets will be divided in the event of a, a breakup. And this has to be done on a legal basis. So that's what we're looking for for the future. Uh, we're, in IFA, we're not saying that we want farmers to avail of it. We're saying that we would like it to be available as an option. Uh, just like in any uh, way of life, we'd like uh, options to be available for anyone. And since we do know that there's an increase in breakdown of marriage, uh, this has been brought to us by the CSO over the number of years, 
we have to prepare for all those eventualities. And the interesting thing about this, Alice, is that I suppose, look, in times gone by, it was the old story of the farm was there. It was very valuable assets. Uh, Usually there was a a, a young man, uh, a male working the farm. He would get married and then the lady would come in. And if there was marital breakdown, the farm may have to be sold as a result of a division of assets. That was the old story, if we will. But times have changed. And interestingly, now the story is completely different, as in there are people getting married. Yes, the farm is there. It's valuable. However, there are people coming into the relationships, be it if it's a female farmer or a male farmer, whatever the case may be. But the other party may be coming in with a very good job, a high income earning job. There may be a pension involved. uh, And that in its own right is something then which needs to be looked at. So the story of the farm being split to keep everyone happy is kind of becoming a little bit archaic. Yes, uh, that's that's the truth. And what you said there about the changing structures, uh, you know, of people coming into marriage is definitely true. In the past, we had the situations where it was often the lady married into the farm where the, the, the farmer was a male. Uh, we now know that in, in Irish society, an awful lot of farms are owned by young women, either in partnership with a parent uh, or on their own. And that a person marrying into that farm, whether it's male or female marrying in, can come in with uh, a quite a sizable amount of assets of their own. We also know that the marriage age is increasing. And that makes, you know, that makes sense that some people will come in with, you know, even a house of their own. They will come in with a very good job and they will come in with possibly a pension. So they're bringing as much onto the farm uh, as maybe in some cases as the asset is worth that they're coming onto. So, you know, they want to protect that as well. And we also have changing structures that are coming out of the farm too, where you may have, in the sense of a marriage breakdown, you may have had a marriage breakdown on a farm where there may be a person left on the farm with children, another person coming into that, that new relationship, maybe bringing children into it as well. And each of them want to protect what they have for the, for the children of that marriage that they're in or that they've had uh, previous to this. So there's all kinds of structures there and we have to try and, and, and provide for that. It's quite complicated and complex and there's no simple answer to it. But we do think by making prenups, uh, you put them into a legal frame work that we do think that it would help in that direction. I suppose, Alice, it would get people thinking a little bit about future eventualities uh, as well. Uh, as much as you don't want to be a naysayer or go into a, a marriage thinking about what could eventually occur if it was to break up. However, it just it is a kind of a, a realistic thing to do, just to have a look at it, to sit down, to talk about different assets, to talk about uh, what may occur in the future, uh, to talk about how children are going to be educated and maybe a, a fund for that. It's It's all very... Business-like, I suppose, but necessary in reality. It is, and I know some people would say, you know, when you talk about prenups, it's one, it's one way of taking the word love out of a relationship. But I'm not so sure that that's true. But as I said earlier in our conversation, we're not saying that people have to, uh, you know, avail of a, a prenup. We're saying that it should be available if they wish to. So some people may want to discuss that, and it, it may be very practical for a lot of people to discuss that, depending on their circumstances. And it's nice to have that framework there if they want to, to avail of it. Um, and you said, you know, structures are changing. People have different needs and they, they may very well want to do that. Uh, and I don't know that it will suit everyone, but if it suits some people, we have to make it available. Uh, in your area, Alice, as chair of the Farm, Family and Social Affairs Committee, obviously marriage uh, breakups uh, are, are, are something you're dealing with. Are you, you alluded to it at the start about there is an increase. Are you seeing that in your own position? Are you seeing the phone ringing more with people uh, asking about what way what they can do in relation to uh, potential separation? 
in some cases, I, I think well, we don't see it as that much of it, but you know, it, it probably will increase as, as time goes by. Uh, people are only coming to terms with a lot of this now. It's only beginning to be spoken about. And we're now we're seeing pretty women now only coming out of, you know, marriages and, and asking for help. In the past, they wouldn't have, they, they may not have come out of the, the marriage in for a start, even though it may have been difficult. And even if they did, it, they didn't quite go looking for help and, and, uh, and support. But if somebody comes to us, we will certainly uh, signpost them in, in the direction of looking for help. It's often counselling that they, they would probably need. Uh, if they need some financial assistance, we will direct them in towards MABS or some of the other financial organisations where they, they need that. Our job really in, in the farm family is to signpost people to where they may get help, depending on what their need is coming out of a broken relationship. You know, it isn't, uh, it isn't always just financial. It can be very personal. It can have a lot of, um, you know, people can be very stressed and can need a lot of psychological uh, support and we can we can help them you know, signpost them in that direction as well. But whatever their need is, we will do our best to signpost them in the direction where they can get the help that is most appropriate to what they need. Yeah, very good. Alice, just before I go, another area you deal a lot with in your area in the IFA is that of the Fair Deal Scheme. We know great headway has been made in relation to agriculture uh, in relation to the Fair Deal Scheme. Um, are you happy with where it's at at the moment? Are there any more changes needed? A lot of work has been done by yourselves well, now, I have to say. Yeah. Right, we've made great progress in that. You know, the three-year cap has been very beneficial uh, to farmers and small businesses. There's always room for improvement, and we're always chatting with the the nursing home support nursing home support scheme operators in the HSE around this, um, because you know there's there's a number of. Uh, strict uh, criteria attached to a, being able to avail of the three-year cap and we would like to be able I suppose, to ease some of those going forward but the fact that we've only got the three-year cap a little over a year and a half, it's really only bedding in at this stage but we're constantly reviewing it and we're constantly talking to people and as more and more people are trying to avail of the nursing home support scheme we're noticing little, little areas that need to be changed and we're certainly working towards that and any time an unusual situation arises we take note of it and we take it up with the HS because it's quite a complex um, scheme really in that it's under two departments it's under the Department of Health and it's also under the Department of Agriculture so it's uh, you know as you said it took us a long time it took us nearly 12 years to get it over the line so we won't have any quick changes but we are all the time re-evaluating it evaluating it and checking it out to see do we need to make changes and as each application comes in if uh, something strange appears in it, we, we have a close look at it and we take it wherever we have to take it to have it looked at. And certainly we will be looking to the future to try and make it easier uh, for farmers to be able to avail of it and particularly to be able to appoint it the successor that they need to appoint in order to avail of the three-year cap. Very good. Well, many thanks, Alice. Uh, great rundown there on both of those areas and we speak to you again on the programme. Uh, Alice Doyle there, Chair of the Farm, Family and Social Affairs Committee with the IFA. And great work done by the IFA, I have to say, in relation to the Fair Deal scheme over the years. A lot of lobbying there. And to get that three-year cap was a big, big, big thing. And that occurred, as Alice said, about a year and a half ago. Prenuptial uh, arrangements, uh, it's murky territory. Uh, it's very muddy water. There's an awful lot of legislation in Ireland that kind of stops them from working. You have the Constitution, which has a special place for the family. There is the Succession Act in 1965, gives a legal right share to espouse. 
you also have Family Home Protection Act coming into it as well so it's something which definitely needs to be spoken about and I suppose with all of these things as well uh, if there's marital breakdown if there's plenty of money there and people can walk away happy from it then uh, these arrangements aren't necessary it's when people don't have uh, the money to be able to walk away and when things get a little bit more dogged in relation to property and having to sell property that's where people dig their heels in and things can become a little bit more challenging Uh, so look it's an area uh, we keep an eye on it but the IFA are lobbying the lost Society to make prenups legally enforceable in Ireland. Uh, now, coming up after the break, we are going to be speaking to Senator Tim Lombard. He's the Fine Gael Agri spokesman, just been appointed, and we're going to talk to him all about his new role and what he would do if he was the Minister for Agriculture in the morning. So stay tuned for that. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore, supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie and you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now, we are moving on on the programme and I have Senator Tim Lombard on the line, the Fine Gael Agri spokesman. Tim, many thanks for taking my call this evening. No, it's great to be here. Good evening. Uh, Tim, you're just announced as the Agri spokesman for Fine Gael and we're going to find out a little bit about you. I know you're down in County Cork, so we might not know as much about you up in this part of the world. So will you give us a little bit about your background, please, Tim? Early life, true to date. Yeah, I'll be very honest with you. Uh, what am I? 46 years of age. Um, married to Catherine. We have uh, four kids. The twins are seven. We have an 11 year old girl and a 13 year old girl. So um, I'm a dairy farmer. Uh, we milk just nearly 100 cows in Manan Bridge. Um, I milk that with help of my mother and my wife. Um, I'll be in Dublin probably three nights a week. So I'm away and that's fair of it. Um, my background in politics, I suppose, as a member of Cork and County from 2003 to 2016, I was mayor of Cork County from 11 to 12, and I went to the Shannon's in 2016, so this is my second term in the Iraqis. And uh, during the week, I got a phone call from the teacher to inform me that he was going to make a party spokesperson on agriculture, food and marine, and matters pertaining to. So um, I'm looking forward to, to the challenge. It's uh, Different step up, maybe no shadow of a doubt. I'm definitely looking forward to working with Martin Hayden in particular, the junior minister in that department, to make sure we can actually deliver for the agricultural community, which is a really important entity for Irish society. Yeah, very good. Uh, Tim, must be a great honour for you. Being a farmer, being a dairy farmer, to be given the nod to be the agri spokesman must be a, a proud day for you. Absolutely. And look, it's both what I do. It's what I do every, every like I milk cows, 350 two days of the year and I'm rack rat every day of the year. It's all we do for a living. And I think when it comes to agricultural issues, like I would be very much ingrained in them over the last five or six years of my life. My father before was farming, milking cows. And look, we have a small holding. Like we start off with 38, 39 acres of land. We have a lot of land rented around the farm. We built up the herd now since the quarter moved away in 2013. And, um, we're your typical farm in many ways that we've expanded. We've kind of gone up towards the 100 cows. We stick with the family model. And I think that's really where the Irish agriculture industry needs to go, uh, just to stick with the family mo- model that has worked so well for us over the generations. Yeah, well, let's let's go on to that, uh, Tim, the, the challenges facing agriculture at the moment. Look, 
Uh, the program's only uh, an hour long, so I don't have you for three or four hours. That's how long we could go into the challenges facing agriculture at the moment. But you are well versed on this. You're a dairy farmer. You, you've built up your herd. You're farming around, uh, milking around 100 cows. So look, you're, go- you're going to notice, you know, the area is abandoned, the nitrogen derogation, you know, all this stuff. So like um, coming from, I suppose, both angles, coming from your farming background and coming with your political hat on, uh, what are you seeing as the biggest challenge uh, facing Irish farmers at the moment? I think there's a few issues. I think there's a political issue, which I just think you need to mention. I honestly believe this. Like, there's, what, 160 dog deputies and 60 senators. Um, over the generations and over the years, agriculture's influence has waned in the decadence that comes to the Iraqis. I think, you know, in many ways, there's been active farmers through the Iraqis over the years. They're getting less and less on the ground. And the other issue is that our Dublin-based TDs are another generation or even two away from the agriculture industry. So it's trying to make sure we can build those bridges so we can have the influence required to get appropriate policy in place for us. It's becoming an issue across all political parties in particular. I think there are, there are significant challenges. You mentioned that the, the landing of cows, which is a significant issue, is like 17% of dairy stock, and that will automatically have a reduction in numbers straight away. There's also a reduction in production, which will have a huge issue when it comes to the family farm model itself. And like in our part of the world, the 80 cohort is probably the norm. Like 79 is the norm down in our part of the world. And like a lot of these will be intensive operators, so the banding does have an impact on them. But the big issue that's coming around the corner for us is the nitrates and the nitrate action plan and the review that's happening at the moment. And the water quality element and where we're going to go if we have, unfortunately, the EPA report goes against us in the next few weeks or days, whenever they announce it. And I think that's a really significant worry for us. Like the dairy industry depends on that 6,000 farmers in particular, plus another 2,000 exporting slurry, all depend on having the actual nitrate by 250. If you were to have it decreased up to 230 or 220, you could have, you know, in, in effect, a problem of the actual herd. And I think that's mm-hmm. a really significant problem for us. Mm-hmm. And I think how we manage that and how we actually make sure we can get the right approach to make sure we don't get into that scenario is a real issue in the next few months. And can we can we manage it, do you think, Tim? Is it possible or are we just fighting against the, the wind at this stage? Like this, you know, environmental thing is really not going away. 2030 is only around the corner. We're not really going to hit any of those targets. And we might hit a few of them, but in reality, we're not going to hit the, the grass, vast majority of them. Is it, is it possible or, or are we just going to have to admit it after a year or two that, look, like what's happening out in Holland, um, government buying land off farmers in order to, to get the methane down. Is that what's around the corner here? I actually think, like, when it comes to the actual 25% reduction in emissions, which is for 2030, I actually think we're going to come really close to it. We're going to do quite well. I think there's significant progress in place. I think there's been 31 different measures implemented in the last maybe two and a half years that we haven't seen, you know, the, the effects on the ground yet. Like I mentioned things like protected urea, which things like the trailing fuel, spreading slurry. All these issues are going to make a huge um, change, slowly but surely. I actually think the biggest challenge you have is the actual issue regarding the nitrate action plan. But that's a blunt tool that could come in in the next six months that could see a huge uh, issue regarding stocking numbers, which have a huge impact on our industry. And how we actually deal with that in the next literally few weeks is really important. So it's fence by fence. I think the first fence in front of us is the EPA report, whenever it's published. Hopefully, it will go in our direction. You'll show water quality improving. If it doesn't, then we need to have a plan in place to deal with that. And that plan 
needs to be put in place with the European Commission by the end of September. Otherwise, you're dealing with a scenario by the 1st of January next year that you're going to have basically the derogation gone and coming out to 20 regarding nitrates, which have a massive in, uh, impact on our actual stocking numbers itself. I think there is, like, I was in Farm Zero Feed uh, project down in Cork on Monday with the Agricultural Committee. The amount of work that's been done on issues such as um, uh, clover, red and, red and white clover, how they can interact, how we can reduce our nitrates, there's going to be a real change in ag in the next decade. But it's going to take a decade for us to go through those changes. So it's also going to take an awful lot of work of education for everyone, policymakers, farmers, communities. And I just feel, and honestly mean this now, it's very hard for a family community to take a lecture from maybe, you know, the EPA or Natasha or other organisations. The only way we're going to get change in the agricultural community is that farmers start talking to farmers about how we can actually change our approaches. And that's the approach we need. If we go down the line of being lectured, we're going to see a reaction that they're not going to do anything we draft regarding the issues that are required. Yeah, very good. Uh, I don't, don't disagree with you on those last points at all, uh, Tim, I have to say. Just another area when I have you, uh, that whole uh, ombudsman, food ombudsman, the office of the ombudsman, it's, look, it's, it's there, it's coming, it's almost going to be there. We're wondering what kind of powers it's going to have. Uh, what powers would you like uh, it to have, Tim? What do you think the, the kind of um, powers that it could enforce that would actually make salient change in agriculture? Yeah, like the food ombudsman, as you say, is controlling your office at the moment. It's in the all. This week is coming to Shannon next week. And I think this piece of legislation has been talked about for an awful a long time. I do think it's been talked up a bit. Will it be the silver bullet that will solve all our issues? Definitely not. I think it's going to be a piece of legislation that's going to work with the regulators regarding making sure that we get that, you know, continuity within the chain so we actually can get a fair price on the ground itself. So a few things about the ombudsman. Number one, it has to be funded exceptionally well. We cannot have an ombudsman put there that hasn't the teeth or the funding to actually do what it's supposed to do. And I think that's really important that the model of funding is taken, in, taken care of to make sure it's going into that can to deliver. The CEO or whoever he or she is hasn't been appointed yet. That role needs to be filled sooner rather than later. But what I'd really like to see this ombudsman doing is to have the powers and the ability to actually make sure that you have a, a an ability to make sure that the food chain is transparent. I'm questioning whether or not it is. And I'd mention one thing in particular, the supermarkets. The supermarkets, in particular the international supermarkets that are in our chain at the moment, their profits need to be published. We need to know what they're making. We need to know what our Aldi's, Little's and Tesco's are making in Ireland. They'll publish them on an international basis, but not on an Irish basis. And that's the first line of getting transparency in their actual food chain to make sure everyone knows what's happening. And the other thing that we need to start talking about is to make sure that this debate that we're happening at the moment about the retail sector and the review that's happening even today regarding the retail sector, that you don't have the retailers coming straight back down to your primary producer looking for the, another cut in price. Like fruit and veg is an exceptionally low margin product already. Milk has taken a 27% cut in the last, what, two and a half, three months, another 4% probably coming the next few weeks. So we cannot have the retailers saying, oh, we're going to sort out this retail issue regarding inflation by coming straight down to the actual primary producer. 
Will it, be, will, it be, will it be possible, do you think, uh, Tim, to police these huge supermarkets, these little, these, alley, these massive, massive corporations? Will it be possible to give them a rap on the knuckles and to say, listen, we need your pro- profits to be published. We also need you to not be looking to the primary producer. Is it, is it at a stage where they're just so big and so powerful now that they can almost do what they want? And that's a really interesting point. When you have probably two of these um, retailers controlling maybe 60 to 65% of the marketplace, it becomes a cartel in so many ways and it becomes dangerous. And I think that's the actual saturation point for that with the retailers. That's why this piece of legislation is so important. And that's why we need to start really start talking about the actual profits and the margins the retailer has. Because it's all very well for our agricultural community and our primary producers working day and night to produce top quality food with more regulations coming every day of the week but without the actual safeguards that they're not getting an appropriate price. We need to make sure that they actually publish their actual profits. And that's going to be the start of the actual game. I've been in the nearly drafted regarding that for next week to actually put it to the minister to make sure that we can get it on the agenda because I personally believe it doesn't work unless we get that actual visibility within the actual food chain itself. And I, like the other thing here is and like, our agricultural community is getting older by the day. I think we have a huge issue globally, and we usually hear about trying to get young people into the actual sector, and particularly young women. But unless we actually have a profit at the end of it, they're not going to do it. No, 100%, Tim. And just before I let you go, last question. Uh, let's say a snap general elections call in the morning, you're on, you're in a seat, and you get the nod for the Minister for Agriculture. What would be the first thing you would do if in power? The first thing I do is a very, I think there's a huge issue, as I previously mentioned, regarding female participation in farming. I think my first thing is that I would actually work hand in foot to make sure we get more ladies into the agricultural community, whether it's um, advisors, whether it's actively on the ground, farming itself. And I think there's an awful lot of work to be done to make sure that we can actually tap into that actual potential. I think it's unfortunately been ignored at the moment. There's been a little bit of work done regarding TAMS. A lot more needs to be done. And the conversation that's required has to happen at kitchen tables and all over the island to make sure... And what, what could be done, Tim? Done. Say the TAMS, 60% grant for, for women. So there's something being done in that regard. What else could be done? I think you even look at issues regarding taxation. I even look at investment and investment possibilities to make sure you'd have the potential that a daughter could come into the actual agricultural industry and actually have a, a better chance of succeeding. I also think things need to be looked at regarding paternity leave in particular, that they need to be stronger for women that are involved in agriculture because if you're a lone ranger out there, you need to have a stronger actual paternity um, service put in place to, to actually help you. Mm. But, like, it, it comes down to farm organisations, too, like the IFA and at least all farming organisations. doesn't matter who they are. Very few females on that delegation. So I do think there's a, a quota required when farm ops regarding when they have officers. And those officers must go all the way to the top. Very good, Tim. Uh, look, I uh, really enjoyed the chat with you there for the last few minutes. I have to say, no doubt, you'll be back on the programme with me again. You're Fine Gael Agri spokesman. Uh, thanks for coming on, uh, Senator Tim Lombard. Thank you, sir. And we are going to move on sharpish because I spent a little bit longer there than Tim uh, than I had anticipated. But uh, some interesting uh, angles, I have to say. And look, milking 100 cows and knows uh, the game and knows the setup. 
uh, and knows exactly how challenging it will be if that nitrogen derogation moves to the 220. That's going to be the big one. Something we're going to keep a close, close eye on here on the programme. Coming up after the break, we're talking about an Irish Grassland Association event. It's taking place in Clonbalogue next week. It's on the farm of Eddie and Aidan Connell. It's all about grassland management from a sheep farmer's perspective. So stay tuned for that. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now we're moving on to an Irish Grassland Association event taking place next week in Clonbalogue. And I have Chris, Christy, I should say, Christy Watson uh, on the line from the Irish Grassland Association. Christy, many thanks for taking my call this evening. No problem, you're very welcome, very welcome. Uh, before we talk about the event next week, Christy, let's have a little chat about your association, the Irish Grassland Association. A little bit of history on it, please, Christy. How long are you in sure. existence and what was, existence. what's your modus operandi? We're in existence 77 years, uh, set up in 1946 with the, the, the aim really to make better use of grassland uh, on Irish farms. Um, coming out of the war years, there was a great need to increase food, food production. So a group of like-minded people set up the Irish Grassland Association to leverage as much production from Irish agriculture and improve, improve grassland in particular. Uh, and that's carried the whole way through. So our membership really is uh, members. Uh, we have farmers on the council. We have people in industry, advisors, research, people from uh, universities as well. So we have a broad church of membership on the council um, everybody with the, with the moving and working in the one direction to you know get the best out of Irish uh, grassland uh, for livestock production in, in Ireland. Isn't it funny Christy things don't change much 1946 you were talking about better grassland management 2023 we're talking about the exact same thing like gra- grass is profitable and more, the more grass you can grow the more profitable you're going to be it, it hasn't changed much it, it really doesn't. It really doesn't. Be, and when you look back at the challenges, then uh, one of them was uh, lack of lime and lack of access to fertilizer. So you know the challenges. You're you're absolutely correct. The challenges are very very similar over that 75 year period. And we've moved obviously a lot. Irish farmers are excellent. At, at that stage in 1946, we looked out of Ireland for direction from Denmark and the UK in relation to how we. Uh, we utilise our grassland and now in 77 years later a lot of those countries are looking into Ireland to see and uh, coming over to visit Irish farms and research centres to see how are we doing so well with, with grassland so it's 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 a, it's a complete about turn really in that period of time and, and a credit to the people and farmers involved. And we're looking back at the, the 40s and the 50s and the 60s we're, we're looking at multi-species swords now you can't turn but you'll hear multi-species sward in reality it was all multi-species swords back then it absolutely was. It was because there was very little land being uh, reseeded at the time and uh, you had a lot of the natural existing grasses, maybe not as productive as they are today, but they, you know, there, was a, there, was a, there was mixes of, of, of grasses. You had the one variety in a field or in a paddock. Uh, you had a multi-species mix of, of various species. So, yeah, we're, we're, um, we're, 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 we're gone almost full circle, aren't we? especially with I had uh, Aidan Brennan from the Farmer's Journal on back a number of weeks ago we were talking about red clover silage and uh, Aidan was saying I believe it was Aidan now off the top of my head I'm trying to think who the contributor was uh, but it was about red clover silage and how back maybe in the 60s 70s red clover silage was around and then it went for a long 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 time and now again back with a with a big 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 bang so totally cyclical 
Oh, so very much so, very much so. You, you really wouldn't want to throw out the old ideas. You know, they were going back, if we think about it, the people who had very little uh, to work with back 75 years ago, they worked with what would work for them and was suitable for Irish conditions. And, you know, if you, if, if you maintain that in the back of your mind and just modify that, um, they, you know, they, they, the, the people who went before us had a, had a good grasp of what worked in the country, you know. The, as you were saying about back in the, in the 40s and 50s, wasn't much done in, in relation to reseeding. Uh, when did that kick off, Chrissy? Like when, when did farmers kind of go, right, we're going to start rotating paddocks and rotating fields. We're going to start, you know, sowing new grasses in them. We're going to try and really up productivity. Like, was it in the 70s, the 80s, that kind of period of time? Or was it even more recent again? I know, I see it started in the 60s, early 70s. Um, in the early 70s, there was a lot of land reclamation at the time. Um, so new gra- new grasses were uh, being brought in. Um, Chagas, or uh, the Agricultural Institute, which was known as the research centre, uh, research centres around Ireland, they began to uh, um, look at varieties of grass that would work under Irish conditions. Uh, and it was really from that uh, period on, I suppose, once you know, the 60s, really, 60s, 70s, and then right into the 80s, they were the sort of uh, decades when production was um, a priority to get because we were coming from a lowish base. Um, so, and that's just continued on now, maybe at a higher pace and at a, at a, um, a more intensive plane. Um, and as you say, we're, 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 we're using some of the tools they used back in the 60s now and just modifying them for our Irish conditions and for present day um, farming systems. Yeah, well, kind kind of kicked off at a, went on at breakneck speed, I suppose is what you could say, Christy, in the last number of years with with stocking rates and whatnot. But moving on to your sheep farm walk, it's taking place tomorrow week, and it's Thursday the eighteenth of May, and it's on at six o'clock in the evening, which is very good for people who are working. Look, majority of sheep farmers, beef farmers are all working off farm now, so the fact you have something on in the evening is going to accommodate a lot of people. It's on the farm of Aidan and Eddie Connell in Clonbelogue, County Offaly. Well, Offaly Kildare border, but uh, we'll take it in County Offaly for, for the sakes of the programme. We'll take as many people in Offaly as we can. Absolutely. Um, what are you going to be chatting about on the evening, Christy? OK, well, we're going to look at the farm. As you see, it's, it's, it's a farm that's run in partnership between uh, Eddie, his wife Bernadette, and son Aidan. So it's unusual on dry stock farms to have the next generation in place. Um, we're looking at the, essentially the farm, the sheep system on, on the Connell farm. They, it's a mixed farm. They do some tillage, uh, there's a bull beef finishing enterprise and uh, there's a 400 yo flock of mid-season yos. So the Connors are achieving very good uh, performance um, from their, their, their stock. Um, and another thing sheep farmers will be very interested in, Aidan in particular has uh, a lot of uh, labour-saving devices and modifications he's done on the farm to reduce labour, which is one of the factors of uh, sheep farmers uh, farming. There's a, there's a lot of labour involved. So as you say, we're kicking off at six o'clock on Thursday, the 18th of May, and we invite all farmers to come along. And uh, as you say, we've run it in the evening, uh, running it in the evening to suit part-time farmers. And what we'd say to people, call in on your way home from work. We give you a burger and uh, and, a, and, a, and a, a soft drink on, at the start of it, so you don't have to rush home try and grab some dinner and come back over. So if you come in on your way home from work, uh, come in at six o'clock, we'll, we'll have a small bit of food at the start of it and we finish up then, at, um, should finish up at eight, at eight o'clock. And we have a number of stops on the farm displaying really, you know, the strengths of, of the, the Connell farm and, uh, you know, where we, they, they showcase really good grassland management and you can see that in the livestock they're producing, very good quality livestock um, 
and practically all of the feed for the livestock is produced on the farm. They have tillage on the farm as well. So, you know, over 90% of the feed required for the livestock is produced on the, the O'Connell farm. Excellent, uh, Christy. Look, sounds like a, a lot on offer there. Just before I let you go, Christy, if there was one little piece of information you could give to people uh, in relation to grassland and growing grass, what would be the, what's the one, I'm not going to say silver bullet, but one thing you've seen over the years again and again and again and again that farmers need to act on in order to grow better grass? I think the big thing is a paddock system, some way a paddock system and keep your groups of animals large. You know, if you're moving them from one field to the next to the next and you have two or three groups, it gets really complicated. It's like a chessboard. So keep the number, the groups of animals, the numbers of groups small. So, you know, rather than having 30 cat or 60 cattle in two batches of 30, put the 60 together and it's much easier to manage the, the, the farm then. Mm. Um, keep, it, keep it simple like that. Paddock, good paddock system large groups of animals in each group so if you wanted grass to be grazed in a paddock put in plenty of uh, of, of stock in there to graze it and graze it rest it and move on yeah I think that's very good advice Christy many thanks for the chat there I must say I really enjoyed it and uh, no doubt you'll have a big turnout next week hopefully so and many thanks thank you uh, Christy Watson there uh, from the Irish Grassland Association and that event is on tomorrow week in Clonbalogue at 6pm in the evening and if you just go onto the Irish Grassland Association website it pops up there it's on the Connell Farm and lots to be learned no doubt about that now coming up after a break we're going to be talking about genotyping calves and how from next year on all calves in the country will be genotyped Jimmy Cosgrove from the ICSA is going to join me so stay tuned for that Country Life on Midlands 103 brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands worshaw.ie and you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103 now we are moving on to calves and genotyping of calves and cows for that matter from next year on is what's being mooted and I have Jimmy Cosgrave from the ICSA on the line Jimmy many thanks for taking my call this evening thank you MJ uh, so, Jimmy, you are a suckler farmer and you're the ICSA suckler chair. A meeting yesterday has heralded news of widespread genotyping of calves and indeed cows from next year on to check for genetic merit. Uh, can you expand on this a little for us, Jimmy? What exactly is going to happen? Um, well, the final detail hasn't been uh, rolled out yet. Yes, yes, uh, yet, MJ. And... Um, Basically, we were invited to a meeting yesterday of the stakeholders to agree on this, and it was pretty unanimous from the stakeholders' point of view that it was a good idea for the industry going forward. Um, There is going to be uh, a small number of farmers not allowed into the scheme, but generally speaking, uh, anybody that wants it's a voluntary scheme, it's not obligatory. So we're looking at Trying to genotype the national herd, I suppose, is the is the ultimate aim from the department's uh, perspective, because going forward, it's not sustainable for the beef farmers of this country that are buying dairy bred calves with very poor performance and CBV values, commercial beef values. Um, certainly, in the efficiencies of these animals are so poor that it's it's basically putting farmers on the road because they're not efficient and they haven't got the beef merit to convert food into live weight gain. Yeah, so the the so the, 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 the grand this. the grand plan, if you will, uh, Jimmy, is for 
in it will take look this isn't this isn't going to happen overnight now if we're going to genotype the entire national herd but maybe in a year year and a half's time a farmer goes into a mart there's a store animal there or indeed a calf at uh, three or four weeks old and you can actually see the genetic merit you can see that he's 60% Holstein 40% Hereford or whatever the case may be and then you're going to be able to see what his uh, commercial beef value will be that's the kind of grand plan and I presume then to weed out the, the trash if you will over the course of the next few years like it's not going to happen overnight but it is a positive Positive step. It, it's a huge positive step, and we've been campaigning for this for quite some time. And we, as suckler farmers uh, in this country, have participated in the, in the genomic scheme that has ran for its duration now of five years. And we certainly have seen the benefits of it, and it does work and it does pay. So now it's up to the other industry, which is the dairy industry, to put their shoulder to the wheel and do this, take it on board. It's a voluntary scheme, but they need to do it and sign up to it for five years. This is not a one-year deal now. It's a five-year commitment. And if we can get a five-year commitment from the dairy farmers of this country, we'll have some chance with the progeny that's going to be produced in the next, you know, two years' time going forward. Yeah, I suppose the downside of it is, Jimmy, the fact that it is a voluntary scheme and that there doesn't yes. seem at the outset to be a payment for it. Maybe there'll be some sort of a, a small payment going forward. I suppose the details haven't been ironed out yet. But if there even was maybe a tenner ahead or something, it would probably get guys across the line to, to do it. Um, well, the minister has categorically stated that there won't be any payment mm. for this. Okay. In fact, it will cost individual farmers going forward uh, some money, not a lot, but it will cost, but the bigger benefit will be seen down the road that hopefully we'll have better bred calves, better beef value calves. Farmers will be able to make better, more informed decisions on the animals that they're buying. Uh, it's it's just crazy what's the, the model that's there at the moment is not it's, it just doesn't work. No, 100%. The one thing that comes to mind, Jimmy, on this is we saw it with soil samples this year. A lot of people soil sampled and people were waiting weeks and weeks and weeks, if not months, for lab results. If every dairy farmer in the country next year uh, takes a genotype of a calf and there's over a million samples to go through in a 12-week period, uh, the labs won't really be able to cope with this. Yeah, they are certainly right there, MJ. Um, and that was addressed yesterday at the meeting that, you know, they, they are looking along with ICBF as joint um, applications for this work. Uh, I certainly, as a suckler farmer, would like to see our own labs do all of this work and because our interpretation is better than somebody else's maybe in another country. We've seen the anomalies with uh, our star ratings and ICBF and DBVs coming from English-bred and Scottish and Welsh-bred cattle, you know, in AI, that are, the semen is coming over here and it's very hard to relate their performance figures with our performance figures. I know there will be some collaboration with the, with the labs beforehand, but I think it's it's a good opportunity. It gives good value back to the economy that we spend the money in our own economy and we don't need to farm. If we do this right, we don't need to farm this out to a, an overseas lab.
Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jimmy, look, I'm just going to leave it there because we're out of time. But I'm going to say many, many thanks for joining me. It's a great uh, uh, piece of information for us this evening. And no doubt I'll be talking to you about it again when we get more details. So, Jimmy, many thanks for coming on the programme this evening. Thank you very much. Uh, Jimmy Cosgrave there, ICSA Suckler Chair from uh, County Meath. And that information is uh, very, very, very useful, I have to say. That's something we really, really, really need. And that is a positive step. The fact it's voluntary, the fact there's no payment. Look, it is what it is. Uh, If you have the quality in your calves, you'll be well paid for it uh, going forward. There's no question about that. And I suppose that's the downside of it. If the quality isn't there, uh, then you're going to find it hard maybe to to shift calves. So we're going to have to look at breeding systems and whatnot going forward. It's early days, but uh, I have to uh, give a nod to the department for that. That's something that's badly needed. And uh, hopefully it's going to be grasped with both hands by all farmers across the board. Now, that's it for this evening's programme. Actually, just before I go, I came across one piece of information during the week I said you'd be interested in. And that is uh, Joe Coogan, auctioneer from Castle Comer. I had him on the programme here on a couple of occasions. Uh, He received €600 an acre for the lease of 25 acres. Uh, with no entitlements in Ballachmoyler County Leash. Uh, that was on the Farming Independent this week. So 600 is pretty much the highest I've come across. I, heard, I think I heard a 620, but 600 for 25 acres with no entitlement. So that's where land leasing is at at the moment in the Midlands. Now, obviously, not all land leasing, but that's a figure. And there are still uh, lesser amounts being paid, no question about it. But... That amount was paid. Uh, huge, huge, huge money, no question about it. Now, that's it for this evening's programme. I'd like to thank all of my guests here over the course of the last hour. Alice Doyle from the IFA, who was speaking to us about uh, prenuptial agreements. Senator Tim Lombard, the new Agri spokesman from Fine Gael, who no doubt will be hearing lots more from on the programme over the coming time. Uh, Christy Watson, the Irish Grassland Association representative about the event which is taking place next week on the Connell Farm in Clonbalogue. That's Thursday 18th of May. And finally, Jimmy Cosgrave there from the ICSA spoke to us about a new genotyping scheme for calves which is going to kick off next year. Uh, Now, I am repeated on Sunday morning at 7am and I'll be back with you this time next week as always. If you want to catch us on a podcast wherever you get them, if you type in MJ space Cleary C-L-E-R-Y we will pop up and you can listen at your leisure. Uh, thank you all for joining me this evening and Joe Cooney is up next with Country Roads. As I said, I'll speak to you in seven days' time. Good night and God bless. Music.